0: All right. Uh, Finally, before we get to the message, um, just want to mention that uh, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And uh, in your bulletin is an insert from Heartbeats of Licking County, which is a pro-life pregnancy center uh, in Newark that serves all of Licking County. Uh, this is a ministry that we support financially. We have some folks in our church that are uh, serving there, uh, like, like helping out with different things. And uh, so the back of the insert shows you a variety of ways that you can get uh, involved, and we encourage you to do that. Uh, Here at Vineyard Pataskala, we believe that uh, there is no greater issue that we face in the time that we live than the cause of the unborn. Uh, This is the moral issue of the time uh, that we live in. And so uh, every January, almost every January, we dedicate one Sunday uh, in January, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, to focusing uh, on this topic. And even on the Uh, The Januarys where we have not done that, uh, you know, geared the whole service toward it. We still have uh, tried to be very faithful to always uh, remember this day in some way. But today we are devoting uh, our entire service to it, devoting the message to it. And we are blessed here at uh, Vineyard Pataskala that Jarrell Godsey is one of our members, Uh, Jarrell is the president of Heartbeat International, which is an international uh, organization that resources pro-life pregnancy centers. And uh, he's been doing this for I think more than 20 years and in the last uh, year he was appointed uh, president of the organization and he makes a significant impact for the cause of the unborn uh, around the world and so we're uh, blessed to have someone of his uh, stature and his caliber to be able to speak to us uh, on, this, uh, on this issue. And uh, another great thing about Jarrell is he's an extremely busy guy. And yet, those of you who know him know that he does a lot of stuff around here. And uh, I'm just always thankful for how faithful he is to serve in the local church, even though his own ministry keeps him very busy. And uh, so uh, we're just uh, blessed by Jarrell. I hope you'll open open your hearts to receive what he has to say. Uh, Why don't we give him a hand as he comes?
1: Yeah, I'm on. Okay. Yeah, I get the privilege of uh, traveling for this work, and so it's kind of difficult. You know, I'm talking to our Connect group, which, by the way, we meet tonight, the Jasper Home, um, six o'clock to midnight. I mean, uh, eight o'clock. Um, <clears throat> so it's kind of always interesting. It's like, yeah, would you pray for me? Like la- last week, I I had to suffer for Jesus and travel to Puerto Rico, so. But I think I brought the warm weather back. So, uh, um, there, usually, I love to have a lot of fun. When I had the privilege to stand in the pulpit, I, I always take it uh, as a as a very kind um, uh, consideration and confidence. Uh, from Pastor Brian to be allowed to do so. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I love to have fun. It was really fun last week when we had umbrellas and a hammock and golf clubs and golf balls were flying all over, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, but not, today we can't have that much fun uh, because we have some very important business to discuss. As uh, Pastor Brian has already alluded to, <clears throat> last year this time uh, I was in DC and I was uh, scheduled to speak. On the Sunday morning, that was Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and uh, uh, I was planning to do that, and uh, uh, the snowmageddon occurred in D.C., and they just shut down everything. All oh, the airports were shut down. We were scheduled to leave out on Saturday. We, never, we didn't get to leave until uh, Monday, um, so it was, it was uh, not as scheduled. Pastor Brian was gracious to fill in with a little bit of warning. I kind of knew it was coming. We knew it was happening on Friday as they began to even shut things down early in the morning, and um, so I let him know, and so with relatively short notice, he jumped in and filled in for me, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, of course, we were stuck in a blizzard in Washington, D.C., of course, I say that, and we were actually stuck in a four-star hotel, so <laughs> life wasn't horrible, we'd never lost power. Um, but we watched the entire uh, uh, city of D.C. shut down. It was really uh, interesting to be a part of and to have been there, and we got to do some uh, some sledding on Capitol Hill and whatnot. So it was a really, really unique time to be in D.C. Um, and that was a year ago, and we're uh, planning to be back. I'm planning to be back there next week and looking forward to that. Um, hopefully the weather will be warm like this. This will be nice. Um, just so you know, I've been had the privilege of uh, speaking on this subject for a number of years. As uh, Pastor Brian mentioned, I've been at this for more than 20 years uh, professionally or uh, as my vocation, been involved in this um, uh, Full time since 1996. And before that, as a volunteer for many years. Um, <clears throat> and so, when I first started speaking, I could, I, I had all these points. I had like 15 points, and then I stood up and I, I like ran through them very fast, and I was done within like five minutes. And I think, okay, that was too fast. I got to rework that. So then, then I boiled it down to four points, and I stood up and I, I, I presented on those, and, and took me about an, about an hour. And so I said, oh, I still got to work on this. So now I, I figured out I can. I can speak for hours on end and have no point whatsoever. (laughs) So in order to avoid that problem, I have all my notes. I will be reading from my notes, um, which is not my typical style or preference, but uh, to maintain consistency and to stick with what I need to say to this morning, um, you'll pardon me if I do that. I... I am grateful for a church that uh, takes time to address this issue. I know it's not a fun issue. I know it's not easy. I'm grateful also for a church that, in general, we, uh, we affirm this value because it has affirmed from the top. And uh, so I, I am understanding that most of you um, are going to find yourself in a situation where you're in agreement. Maybe some of you will find some information that I will present this morning news to you or new to you. Um, I do not, um, I really am trying to narrow certain things and give you some tools and pieces that most of you may know uh, or, may, or may not know or may have only heard briefly. And I hope you'll, um, you'll get something in the process. So why is today important? Why does January 22nd matter? Because January 22nd is the day that the Supreme Court of the United States handed down the decision that we know as Roe versus Wade, that changed the availability of abortion from just a handful of states to all 50 states everywhere the U.S. is in power. On that day, existing laws in any state that had chosen to protect the baby in the womb were struck down, made of no effect. Pew Research shows most people under the age of 35 don't really know about Roe. They don't really understand that. There's a lot of things that are going on, a lot of placards that are being held, a lot of sound bites that are being spoken, a lot of things that are wrapped up in very quick, a few words trying to capture some very intense issues. But there's important, it's important to look beyond those and behind those and underneath those to understand what they really are. So I'm gonna give you some quick points about Roe v. Wade itself, the legal process. It arose from a challenge in Dallas, Texas. A young unmarried woman named Norma McCorvey was pregnant with her third child that she did not want. Texas law, as most every state did, did have, allow abortion in the in the event of the pregnancy if the pregnancy jeopardized the mother's life. In fact, the medical profession at the time also believed that Norma's life however was not in jeopardy. In fact, she had actually was had been seeking to be put in touch with an adoption attorney. Instead, She was connected with attorneys Sarah Weddington and Linda Coffey who had been intensely and intentionally seeking someone that they could could, uh, uh, be the lead plaintiff in a lawsuit against the state of Texas relative to the abortion law. Norma was that person. Many of us don't know this, but her case, Norma's, began in 1971 in Texas, and it was not decided until 1973. Well, don't you know? That little baby didn't wait around for the end of the case. Smart thing. Because that baby, a little girl, was born, as Norma had originally desired and was placed in an adoptive home. This year, she will be 45 years old. Too many Americans also think that the Supreme Court decision about Roe simply made abortion available only at its earliest stages. Uh, in fact, that the seven justices in black robes, interestingly enough, who happened to all be men, were quite concerned with stages of pregnancy, even referencing trimesters in their opinion. However, a companion ruling handed down on the same day called Doe v. Bolton effectively erased any limitations on abortions. How? Because Sandra Cano, the Doe of Doe v. Bolton, a Georgia resident pregnant and seeking an abortion, her case challenged the state of Georgia's then restrictions limiting to only early stage abortions, meaning less than eight weeks. The Supreme Court of the United States resolved that, that court case in part by creating a definition of the word health. Say that with me. Health. health. Say it again. Okay, that's a very key word for you to listen for when you're listening. If you're listening to any pundits or individuals who are on the television or on the radio or things that you're reading, I want you to be very careful to watch for that term, health. It's important because in the Doe versus Bolton case, which was handed down at the very same time that Roe was, the rose said, "You can limit, and you and you're able to limit first trimester. We're not sure. We're we're pretty sure is okay. The rest of it's a question. But then at the same time, it handed over a court case that effectively took this definition of the word health in such a broad way, and including mental health, uh, that uh, that the mental health exception could arise from even the most mildest of distresses, even those experienced by everyday people who were not pregnant." So beware when you hear about some who are concerned about pr- proposed restrictions for fear of the health of the mother. The legal effect of this ruling in 1973, or both these rulings, I should say, in 1973 was to allow for abortion on demand, meaning an abortion could be secured for any reason at any time. Naturally, the U.S. abortion industry that, that had been held to only a handful of states spread quickly across the country And within less than 10 years, was aborting more than 1.6 million babies every year. There's a war on science, and those are the casualties. Since 1973, science has continued to reveal the wonder of human development. Ever-increasing windows into the womb, like that of ultrasound. Many of you have seen these. In fact, In 1973, they were relatively rare. The technology had just been created; and only been around for for a couple of decade a decade or so at that time. Was not necessarily widely practiced. But today, if you it's part it's part of the standard of care, and you not only have one, possibly two or three, and maybe more if necessary, but we have these windows into the womb that show us how many of you have seen a 2D or a 3D or a 4D ultrasound. There, we see these things much more carefully. In fact. Uh, Last year, it was reported that they had actually witnessed, uh, they had evidence of what what happens. There's something very special that happens at the very moment that the the sperm fertilizes the egg, there's a flash of light. To me, it's not uh, inconsistent with the fact that God is light. At the very moment of conception... We've been able to see that. With very tiny cameras, we've got tremendous pictures of the babies in the womb. With DNA, we have more DNA understanding. We now have something called genome mapping and more that brings scientific revelation that the baby, even from its earliest stages, is human. The cry of the abortion proponent says, My body, my choice. The scientific truth, the little baby within, is not her body it's a unique human with its very adult genetics predetermined even from the moment of conception now some try to use medical or scientific terms like fetus zygote and embryo in such a way to obfuscate the truth these are good terms that have scientific meaning but not one of them means non-human In fact, they are all used to identify various stages of growth of the human baby. Biologists know this, but the proponents of abortion, at least publicly, continue to hide behind such terms in order to dehumanize the unborn in an effort to ease the conscience and justify abortion. It's amazing to me that the very best children's books can have the most powerful truths wrapped up in language that's easy for us all to understand. And for that I make a reference to Dr. Seuss who made it all so profoundly simple. A person's a person no matter how small. And I've seen a bumper sticker that just kind of catches me that says if it's not human then you're not pregnant. The statistics tell... Yeah, think about that. The statistics tell the story. Just this week... There was an announcement that indicated that abortions were at their lowest point since the late 70s. Remember, their highest was 1.6. That's good news, uh, that, that we have a new number now that's lower, and the lowest in 40 years. And that number is now finally below 1 million annually. The trend is moving in the right direction, for, right direction for which I am thankful. But the number is still too high. That number still eclipses any other cause of death in the US. Let me say that again. That number still eclipses by far any other cause of death in the US, including heart disease and cancer. It is still true, sadly so, that the most dangerous place in America is the womb. So, the statistics in a combined fashion total number more than 60 million since the very beginning of Roe, U.S. lives. These are the casualties in this war of ideas and ideology. When ideology and truth are at odds, it's important to look deeper at the core issue. Let's look at the fundamental elements. So I want to use a simple illustration to point out what are we really talking about? So imagine you're standing at the kitchen sink with your attention fully engaged on the dishes, up to your elbows in dishwater. Behind you, one one of your young children says, Mommy, can I kill this? If your first thought is that they've captured a spider or a snake, you might quickly say yes. But to be sure, you don't really know what the it that is being referred to is. What if you happen to be Katie Yee, and it's Abram, the oldest, and he's holding, he's holding the youngest Yee, Peter, in a headlock? <laughs> you might want to, not want to say yes too quickly. That's why we have to ask, what is it? It is very important to always remember what the choice really is about and who is really involved. A friend of mine and a great pro-life apologist, Scott Klusendorf, has taught some simple truths that help us to get to the core of the issue and be able to zero in on key misunderstandings. Being able to recognize these can help us defend the issue of life using common sense, scientific, and philosophical answers, not just religious ones. He says this, there is no morally significant difference between the embryo that you once were and the adult that you are today. Let me say that again. There is no morally significant difference between the embryo that you once were and the adult you are today. Differences of size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency are not relevant such that we can say that you had no rights as an embryo, but you do have rights today. So think of the acronym SLED as a helpful reminder of these non-essential differences, and as you've noticed in your outline in your in your notes, I have um, little blanks and it says S L E D, and I'll explain those. Some of you are like, "Oh, did he do that again? Fill-ins. I hate fill-ins." Yes, I did. So the S stands for size. Okay, and I can't get here without the, without the, the voice of Yoda speaking in my head. Judge me by my size, do you? <laughs> it is true that embryos are smaller than newborns and adults, but why is that relevant? Do we really want to say that large people are more human than small ones? Right? That would make Adam Notstein more human than Maricella. <laughs> Men are generally larger than women, but that doesn't mean that they deserve more rights, Right? Yeah, lots of women like, yeah, amen. (laughs) Why? Because size doesn't equal value. L, level of development. Of course, it is true that embryos and fetuses are less developed than the adults they'll one day become. But again, why is this relevant? Four-year-old girls are less developed than 14-year-old ones. Should older children have more rights than their younger siblings? I think the older children are going, wait a minute, I kind of like that idea. Some people say that self-awareness makes one human. But if that is true, then even newborns do not qualify as valuable human beings. Six-week-old infants lack the immediate capacity for performing human mental functions. Which, by the way, so do the comatose. Maybe even the sleeping. Or those who have Alzheimer's. And so level of development does not affect value. Environment. E, environment. This is key. Where you are has no bearing on who you are. Let me say that again. Where you are has no bearing on who you are. Does your value change when you cross the street or roll over in bed? Does your value change based on the address, the size of your house, the number of square feet, the plot of land that you own, or don't? If not, then how can a journey of eight inches down the birth canal suddenly change the essential nature of the unborn from non-human to human? If the unborn are not already human, merely changing their location can't make them valuable. D, degree of dependency. Degree of dependency. Some argue that you're not really human until viability. I hate using air quotes, but they work. If it is viability that makes us human, then all those whose body can't function independently are suspect. By the way, that would, make, that would include those who depend on insulin, or kidney medication, they should be considered not valuable, and according to the logic of abortion, we may kill them. Conjoined twins who share blood type and bodily systems then have no right to life. This viability question is actually really curious. You, you get this uh, conversation going on, well, if, um, if the baby is viable, then we can't have an, do an abortion, but if the baby is not yet viable, then we can't. Think about the logic of that for a minute. Just for a minute, the logic or lack thereof. Okay, if we can take them out and they might live on their own, then we have to leave them in. If, however, we take them out and they would die, then we can take them out. Does that sound logical to you? I have never understood that, never understood that. But we wrap it up in this term called viability, and it makes us sound like we know what we're talking about. Even before we understand that what God's perspective is, rational thinking with scientific and philosophical understanding argue that although humans differ immensely with respect to talents, accomplishment, and degrees of development, they are nonetheless equal because they share a common human nature. Again, my friend Mr. Klusendorf says uh, this, he coalesces this whole understanding into a simple syllogism. Now, I have to admit, when I first read this, I didn't know what a syllogism was. You guys are probably much smarter than me, but I had to go look it up with a definition, and I put it in the notes for myself. In case you're interested, a syllogism is a deductive scheme of a formal argument consisting of a major and minor premise and a conclusion. As in, every virtue is laudable, kindness is a virtue, therefore kindness is, is, is laudable. In math, this is kind of similar to the transitive property. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Right, Jeff? Math teacher. You heard him say yes. Okay? Therefore, it's all true. The related syllogism would then read A. It is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. That's the first part. It is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being? Something we can all agree. Elective B, elective abortion, intentionally kills an innocent human being. Therefore, elective abortion is wrong. Very simple. It is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Elective abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being. Therefore, elective abortion is wrong but but there's always this this kind of question but wait you don't understand how about the how about when but it's not really a person some abortion advocates are admitting now now they're admitting okay it's human but is it a person this is actually a very very dangerous line of discussion because the term human and person should be synonymous Right? The term human and person should be synonymous, but they aren't. The term person is actually more a legal term, which means the legal system is the sole determination of the definition. If the legal system can define away the personhood of the baby in the womb, it can find a way to deny the personhood of other classes of people. This actually happened in our legal and legislative system before our civil war and the 13th and 14th amendments. This actually happened in Nazi Germany, breaking apart the concept of personhood, which then led to qualifications being placed upon their humanity. One human being being inferior to another. This thinking is what undergirded the rights that allowed one person to own another or to decide that they should no longer live, to claim them as property, or to assign them a lower status, eventually that of being less than human, subjecting them, just as was done in the gas chambers of the Nazis, to mass extermination. But, but what about the, accept, the exceptions for rape, incest, or life of the mother? The statistics for this, so, these so-called hard cases, is less than 3%. I don't mean to make light of those hard cases. They are very difficult, and they should be examined closely. But that still leaves 97 percent of abortions that do not involve any of those complex kind of situations. But what about situations where the child may grow up in poverty? This is a curious line of thinking. Poverty is a difficult thing, But poverty is not permanent. Poverty is not permanent. I find it interesting um, I've tried to avoid politics. Try to avoid politics. Try to avoid politics. (laughs) So, uh, Dr. Carson uh, was being actually uh, interviewed, or um, uh, for his nomination as the 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 Housing and Urban Development cabinet cabinet leader, which is very interesting. He is an example of someone who was in poverty, and if you know his story, he went from being in the projects, actually living in in housing provided by the Housing and Urban Development. And then became one of the foremost uh, neurosurgeons of our time. So poverty is not permanent. Abortion is. But if we look closely at the question of poverty, it really goes to the quality of life. Are the impoverished any less valuable as human beings? Of course not. As difficult as poverty is, it is not a reason to kill someone. Now, so far, I've intentionally avoided using biblical references, but the Bible gives us great insight into this issue, and I want to get to a very specific one that doesn't get spoke of very often. Um, It's a challenging one, and I I will try to not be terribly graphic, um, but on a spiritual note, there's a real connection to what's going on in our land today with the scriptures, and I want to take you to Leviticus 18. And it says, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech. This is God speaking to his people. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord, Leviticus 18.21. In other versions, there's this phrase inserted into the middle of it says, you should not allow your children to pass through the fire of Molech. Huh? What is that? The Smith's Bible Dictionary describes, says this, the fire God Molech was the patron deity of the children of Ammon, which would be, we would know as the Ammonites. According to Jewish tradition, the image of Molech was of brass hollow within and was situated throughout Jerusalem. His face was that of a calf and his hands stretched forth like a man who opens his hands to receive something of his neighbor. They would kindle a fire within it and the priest took the baby and put it in the hands of Molech. To pass through the fire. To be killed. Human sacrifice. This is why God's words are very sharp and very pointed. In Leviticus 20, he says some more. Say to the Israelites, any Israelite or any foreigner residing in Israel who sacrifices any of his children to Molech is to be put to death. The members of the community are to stone him. I myself will set my face against him and will cut him off from his people. For by sacrificing his children to Molech, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. These are difficult words. And I don't mean, by the way, to, to say that, that anyone is knowingly sacrificing their children in this way. But I am connecting what we do and what we have decided is okay in our country to that practice back then because there are too many similarities. Today's holocaust of abortion is a perversion of the gift of life and the giver of life tantamount to the ancient worship of the foreign god Molech. That's why this is the moral imperative of our day. The willful acceptance of this practice by a judicial system rooted in Judeo-Christian values and legal, legal understanding undermines the value God places on each and every one of us. It is that same system that was established on the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is true that the founding fathers could not solve the problem of slavery with these words alone. That would have to come later. Yet, in a historical move different from any other country in history to that point, they recognized that certain rights were granted not by kings, but by the creator. Not in the hands of men, but in the hands of a living God. The first among these is life. Life is sacred. It's a gift of God. It should not be something that is granted by any human government. It should be assumed. For anyone that can grant rights can take them away. The sacredness or sanctity of human life is foundational to biblical thinking and to the very nature of God. So, what to do? What do we do? I have three points because apparently that's a law somewhere. So you always have to have three. So the first one is agree with God. Agree with God. He is a life giver. He is a life creator. Remember in Psalms 139, 13 through 17, he tells us this. For you created, or this is the psalmist crying out to God, for you created in my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained, ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Apply the word of life in your own sphere. That's point number two. Apply the word of life in your own sphere. Speak life-giving words, not life-stealing words. Be careful not to agree with what the world would counsel. Instead, stand with God. By the way, on that point, remember that what you speak to others, you also speak to yourself. Remember that you have this constant loop that's going on in your life that's called self-talk, and that's actually one of the most um, uh, difficult battlefields that the enemy uses in our life. Is not what we say to others, but what we say to ourselves. And so, in this, when I say when I say apply the word of life in your own sphere, it starts with speak life to yourself. I know I don't do that enough. I yell at myself. I have bad words for myself. I know that's wrong. But I I will call myself things like, oh, you're stupid. That was so stupid. Okay, and I I realize what I'm doing. But that's not life-giving. I need to be life-giving even to myself. So that I can then be life-giving and speak life to others. Speak life-giving words, not life-stealing words. Be careful not to agree with what the world would counsel. Instead, stand with God. He is the giver of life and holds all things in his hands, including, including an unanticipated pregnancy or one that did end in abortion. Remember that God has a plan and purpose for each and every one of us. He's made us uniquely to fulfill a place and destiny with him. Speak optimistically about God's goodness and his glory. Don't let the world of death we encounter diminish the word of life. Speak it. Let me say this again. Apply the word to yourself. I pray this is not true of any person in this room. Those statistics tell me otherwise. If you have participated in an abortion either personally or been party to one by counseling in favor of one or even paying for it, then you need to apply the word of hope to your own situation. That's me. I did those things. I don't have any right to stand here except that I have traveled this path and I've had to walk this reconciliation. And I have been so grateful for the God of hope who stood with me because I advocated for an abortion for my girlfriend. I drove her there, I paid for it, I sacrificed my own flesh and blood. Only later did I become a Christian. And I was convinced that while God could cover all my, all my other sins, He could not cover that one. But I was wrong. I was wrong. The Bible talks about sin, there being a sin unto death, but it is not abortion. The God of the universe is available for healing. Apply the word of hope. Number three, act. Be informed about this issue. Investigate it further. Don't just take my words for it. Look for yourself. There's a reason that the 1973 law has not settled into our culture as our law of the land. While it's, it's, by the way, that's another term I hear, I hear it happen. Well, don't you believe in settled law? There should be no settled law except the one that God wrote. None. We should always re-examine it, and that's one of them. And the next time we have a Supreme Court justice uh, nominated, you'll hear a lot about settled law. Don't don't let that sink in, because this the reality of this. And I was had done some done some research over the years and and, and realized that one of the things that was written about this case in nineteen in nineteen seventy three that was proposed of it was that was that, well, if we decide this in a certain way, it'll, it'll kind of, it'll kind of um, help us as a country. We will no longer be divided about this. Looking back now, 44 years, that ain't true. We've been more divided about this than ever. The good news is, more people identify themselves as pro-life now than they have since the, since the 90s. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. That's a good thing because you know the media and others have done everything they can to make pro-lifers look like backwoods uninformed Neanderthals. You know, knuckle-dragging Neanderthals. Oh, they're kind of just they're just those people. Yeah, we're those people. Because we believe God. And we know that the science is with us. So, it has not settled into our culture as a law of the land because it is a law that stands against God's laws. Be informed about how big abortion lobbies our government to continue getting subsidies while making hundreds of millions of profits each year. True. Be informed about the sale of baby body parts. Be informed about your politicians who want your vote. Without the right to life, all other rights are meaningless. Did you hear a lot about a march yesterday? How many? Yeah, big march going on yesterday. By the way... There'll be another march this coming Friday. It'll be a little bit different because it'll be a march for life. But don't, don't miss the fact that, that, that the women's march yesterday was not really about women. I have several friends who, leaders of organizations, large ones around the country, signed up to participate and they were rejected. Once it was learned that they were pro life, they were told, do not come. These are women. Right? Women. Feminists for Life, New Wave Feminists, several others, Students for Life. These are women, and they were told, do not come. So the real issue that was going on yesterday was not about women. It was about abortion. But the, life, the March for Life that's going to be happening this Friday will attract at least as, big as, uh, as, uh, as much of a crowd, at least as big as the one yesterday. The difference is, it'll have a little different spirit capital S spirit I would say just as it had been for more than 40 years this by the way happens to be the biggest pro-life gathering in the world and curiously the mainstream media can't seem to find it you'll note that we make it easy on them having it on a weekday while they're working not on a Saturday when more people are not working I'll be there again this year because it's one of the ways that I act to champion life and if you can think, think of it as you hear of it or as it comes across your attention, would you please be so kind as to pray for us? Because if anybody wanted to act uh, mischievous, mischievously against the issue or against those who believe that way, we will all in one spot. Or many of us. The last thing about acting is be informed about the resources in your community, such as pregnancy help centers like Pregnancy Decision Health Centers, which is around Columbus and in Lancaster. Our sister Vineyard on Palmer Road has a pregnancy resource center. And of course, as Pastor Brian already mentioned, Heartbeats of Licking County. If you'd like to know more about Heartbeats, you can check this out or uh, their um, heartbeats.org website, or you can visit with Bethany Jasper, who's volunteering with them now. Um, They are always in need of volunteers financial support, and donations of material help. Um, Real quick note, on the very back of this, if you look in the lower left-hand corner, there's um, a little thing that says 24-hour helpline, 1-800-712-HELP. That actually actually is is something called optionline.org, which is if you know of any of your neighbors or any of your folks um, that you know anywhere in the country that would like to know where a pregnancy center that is close to them, optionline.org has a little locator you just put in the city, and the state, and it'll show your zip code and show you where the closest one is. How do I know this? Because that's part of Heartbeat International. Right, next two offices over from me is a group of people that answer this phone call 24-7, 365. Someone's answering it right now. They do it on Christmas, they do it on Easter, they do it on Thanksgiving. They're there to help those find pregnancy centers like Heartbeats and others, PDHC and others. And so I'm grateful that's to play that part for the sake of the, the nation and for the sake of this work, we have the privilege of answering almost a quarter of a million calls for help every single year. It's our, it's our privilege to participate in that. Because these are the ones who help make women make a life-affirming choice. They exist because no woman should feel so alone or coerced by someone else or her own circumstances that the only thing she can do or think to do is terminate the life of her child. Every woman should feel loved and supported during her pregnancy. Today is an important date in the history of the U.S. It is why churches all across the U.S., and some that don't, intentionally don't. There are entire denominations that have taken up a stand on the other side of this issue. I don't understand that. don't get it. But I'm grateful for those churches who do, like this one, who do make a stand to intentionally champion Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. I'm grateful for a pastor and the elders here who speaks to and stands for Sanctity of Human Life consistently and faithfully and boldly. Because one day, one day, and it feels like it's close, it could be closer now than ever before, one day, my prayer is that we will be celebrating the fact that abortion is on the scrap heap of history like the word slavery yeah. Yeah. amen yeah. and in that day in that day the question of the younger, younger generations that will arise after that they're going to look back and say what did you do how could that happen what, what did we do what was going on How do we respond? So act, act, do your part, small and large for that day. And remember, a person's a person, no matter how small. Would you stand?